why do spirits come to us? Maybe you've never had that experience. I don't know that I truly can say a spirit came to me, but I think I've been in situations where I've seen something out there. But sometimes people have a presence that seems to watch over them, seems to keep them protected, and at times instill fear. What are the purposes? Is it always for our own good? Are there some things that are certainly not for our own good? And how do we know which one is which until it's too late? There's so many questions that we all have about this stuff. And with the amount of stories that we hear on this program, uh, you end up always with far more questions than answers. On today's episode of Real Ghost Stories Online, we hear two different stories. One about a woman who goes through childhood and life experiencing the dead, sensing when there's good and evil around her, and understanding why the company that you keep very much influences the spiritual or paranormal or supernatural company that you keep as well. Light tends to attract light, dark tends to attract dark. And we also hear a story about a couple in their home, one of them sensing something's watching, something's peering in and paying attention, and not in always the most welcoming of ways. Husband doesn't believe it, though, until some solid evidence comes out. Those stories and more today in EPP bonus episode number 421 of Real Ghost Stories Online. My name is Tony Bruschi. Stay with us. Some people are sensitive. I think we're all aware of that. And some people are like super duper sensitive, (laughs) like super major sensitive where not only are they feeling things, but because of that feeling and those interactions with the other side, physical things start being influenced uh, in the uh, physical world, if you will. That is precisely what happens in our next story. From fires to fear to finding your peace. That's all in this next story. Take a listen. I want to apologize. This is a long story, but trust me when I say there are many details, and if I didn't include them, nothing would make sense. Ever since I was a kid, I've been in the middle of things, so to speak. My mother told me that when I was a baby, I would sometimes sit up in my crib and have conversations with a woman she thought to be my great-grandmother who passed away. Through the years, though, I came to believe that this creature was something distinct altogether. Between the ages of five and seven, I ceased feeling anything, and I have no recollection of my life before the age of five, so I can only speculate based on my mother's tales. When I finished second grade, my family and I settled into a house on 82nd Drive in Gladstone, Oregon. 
The single-level dwelling featured an attic and a large basement with three bedrooms, a bathroom, living room, kitchen, dining area, laundry closet. One front door led out to a deck that curved around to the right when facing the house from the street, while the other door was on the other side of the house. James and I, along with our mother, her first husband, her current boyfriend Jeff, Jeff's friend Brian, and several other homeless and drug-addicted youths and Jeff's brother all shared a house together. James' bedroom, which was more of a closet with windows, was located on the left side of the front of the home next to the kitchen, the tiny bathroom. And then there was my room with a walk-in closet access to the attic. The entrance room is accessible through our door. Further back in the house, you'll find archways that led into the kitchen. However, just before these archways on the right is a door that leads down into the basement. The kitchen's right-hand side featured a full-length counter fitted with a sink in the center, a stove, and a refrigerator. Beyond that was a door leading to the laundry room. My mom's room, the third bedroom, was located on the left of the kitchen. The backyard was huge. It had long, yellow grass. I was only a couple months into second grade when we moved in, and I spent very little time there since I wanted to finish the year at my old school. But once summer arrived, I rarely visited my old flats and instead spent most of my time at the new house with my brother. In the beginning, everything was chill. Since I've had insomnia since I was a baby, I've felt even more uneasy at home than usual, and my fear and anxiety only increased. When I was a kid, I used to sleep with my back to the wall because I was constantly paranoid that someone was watching me through my bedroom window. There were times when I could even make out hushed conversations. Then I learned to anticipate people's approaches. If James were to walk up to me while I had my back turned or my eyes closed, I would recognize him immediately. This would happen to me several times throughout the years. When I was nine years old, at the end of a summer, my mom and stepdad got a divorce and he moved out. This ability began to develop fully at that time and I was keenly aware of it. After my mother began dating Jeff, she began inviting teenage drug addicts into the house. James and I got along with Jeff just fine and he was certainly preferable to my stepfather, but I never felt entirely at ease with any of our visitors present in the home. I tried to tell my mother, but as was typical at the time, she didn't believe me, so I just had to grin and endure it. For the following month or two, the basement was the only place to be. Things might shift or vanish entirely, and we'd hear footsteps, yet see nobody on the ground. Then one time I heard music coming from down there. The plugged-in radio we had down there has been malfunctioning for some time. We also found the lack of electrical outlets to be peculiar, given the number of people who must have been working down there at one point in time. Since no one was home, Jeff and his friend Brian, who was actually a very nice local, decided to hold a seance without knowing what they were doing. With only a single candlelight, they settled in at the kitchen table by the cellar entrance. Prior to then, all of the action took place in the basement. My friends told me that the temperature in the house plummeted, and that all the candles in the house suddenly went out. In the end, they just blew it out and put everything away without giving it another consideration. At this point, things began to accelerate in ways that nobody could fully account for. Though I can't recall everything that happened, the kitchen incident came first. Everyone had gathered in the living room to watch television. But unfortunately, we only had a dial TV and no control. Suddenly, the temperature dropped dramatically and the TV turned off all at once. 
The kitchen drawers and cabinets swung open with rattling sounds as everyone wondered what had happened. There was chaos on the floor, and we were all startled. There were no words between us, so we swept it all under the rug like it never existed. Getting a puppy was the next significant event in our lives. He was a very nice dog, but I can't recall his name. James and I were very special to him, and he enjoyed spending time with us playing. He was never physically violent against any of us, but he was quite hostile with other people and did not and did a lot of damage to the house when he first moved in. His previous attitude then abruptly flipped. We chalked it up to a new place and the constant influx of visitors, but I always suspected that he was sensing what I was beginning to sense. The presence of more people than were actually in the house. That made me anxious, to say the least. More odd occurrences followed shortly thereafter, including the sudden appearance and disappearance of persons, the disappearance of property, the utterance of inexplicable whispers, etc. Brian, who stayed with us for far longer than planned, had once been attacked when he was washing his hair. A few blocks to his grandmother's place for a shower were more than worth it to him. And then I was introduced to Jack. For some time, I'd been aware of a strange presence in the room, but I'd never given it much attention and had just ignored it because I was not that afraid. I'd been suffering from severe insomnia for weeks before the night I met Jack. I'd been lying in bed for hours, staring at the wall, when I became aware of someone standing behind me. At first, I blamed my brother James, as he occasionally visited my room, but then I recognized that the presence I was sensing wasn't actually his. James had a quite disorganized presence, at least at that time. I rolled over to see if one of the people sleeping there wanted something, convinced that they would hurt me because of my terrible history with my stepfather. But instead, I saw the towering black shadow of a man standing near my bed. Without any window coverings, the room was bathed in streetlight, but this black figure stood out starkly against the background. Aside from the fact that it was a guy and that his eyes seemed to sparkle and change colors quickly, I could make out nothing about this person. For several minutes, I just stared at this man. At first, I felt nervous and worried, then a sense of serenity and protection swept over me, and I felt so safe and joyful that I almost started crying. Then, it was gone, and I felt completely empty and afraid after that barrage of emotions. Then I jumped up and out of bed, right through that person, ran out of the room. I suddenly felt compelled to look back at this man, and when I did, I noticed that he was still standing there. He stood in the same place as before, but now his head was turned, and he was staring straight at me. As I recall, I let out a scream and fled the building. Looking back, I feel terrible about the way I treated him, since I recall seeing tears in his eyes. My mom didn't believe me at first, but as the paranormal activity increased and the house continued to break down to the point where we couldn't spend much time there, we had no choice but to pack up and leave. My brother and I entered first grade at Riverside Elementary School shortly after relocating to the Fox Point Apartments. Our stay here was often uneventful, so we departed for Washington State. After a brief stay, we returned to our original apartment complex, this time choosing a different unit. I could sense this figure's presence growing stronger and stronger in my memory as time went on. But once I settled into the apartments, he started to make himself more noticeable. He'd march down the corridors or pull at my hair on purpose. In addition, his touch on my neck varied. 
with how I felt at the time. I remember that when I was particularly elated, it would delicately tickle my neck in a way that sent thrills down my spine. When I was particularly sad or angry, though, he would stroke my neck and massage it as a way of reassuring me that he was present and that I was not abandoned. A fire broke out in my apartment here, too, so my family and I had to relocate to another building in the complex. At the same time I moved into this apartment, I started seventh grade. I met a girl named Emily. At first, we rarely saw each other outside of school, but I soon found myself spending the night at her mother's house where I occasionally felt the presence of a mysterious man. Emily soon began to confide in me about her encounters with the paranormal and the reoccurring shadow people that she saw. She was very frightened by them, and she proceeded to tell me all about the various kinds and myths around them. After that, I let my guard down and shared with her my story about the house on 82nd Drive. She also shared with me her firm belief in the existence of both ghosts and evil spirits. However, I refrained from telling her about the man I had seen since I was not yet prepared to share that news with anyone. When I spent the sleepover at her dad's house and informed her about the seemingly demonic presence that resided there, she believed me, even though she had previously disbelieved everything else I had told her. When I went to her dad's house, I felt like I was being watched, and I always got nauseated. My facial expressions, constant trembling through my visits there, were a clear indication of these. At one time, however, I decided that I would rather not be alone in the house's rear quarters. I always felt the most secure in the front room of her dad's house whenever I stayed there with her, even though the shaking and sense of being watched persisted. I felt safe from harm so long as I remained in that room. When I finally arrived, the entire house seemed to be trembling and the mood had shifted from malicious to irate. The beast wanted me. And when something blocked it from entering the living room, it went into a rage. A number of occasions, I felt a tremor in the air near the kitchen's archway as though someone were beating violently on a glass wall. Afterwards, the house would quake, but I would be the only one to feel it. Emily had noticed the difference in me each time, along with the trembling, and we'd have conversations about it, during which I described the sensations I was experiencing. Because the ghost had befriended, in a sense, and never made me feel safe in this location, I avoided it at all cost. I entered high school, the strange occurrences in the house continued, but Emily's father had already moved out by that point. In my first year of high school, my apartment building caught fire again, and this time I was inside. The fire had been started by two young boys who lived in the apartment next to ours and knocked over their couch onto a radiator. The father and grandfather were killed. The mother and child survived after jumping from a second-story window to the parking lot below. The baby was caught by a man who had just been passing. The woman landed on her feet, breaking her legs and such. There was nothing supernatural about this, save for a profound, melancholy, emanating form that I ended up calling Buddy. We were, we were relocated to a new apartment on the ground floor, this time with a view of the tiny playground. From this point, my friend was much more persistent. He never stopped playing tricks, and he still stomped on and pulled my hair until I cut it, which I think irritated him. But he was always very soft and nice to me whenever my mother disturbed me or whenever I was scared. 
For one thing, he wasn't alone any longer. I sensed the presence of several other beings there too, some really nasty ones whom I did my best to keep at bay. Inside this house, I began to feel physically ill, and the insomnia that had been somewhat alleviated began to rear its ugly head again. While she was taking care of James and I, Emily, my brother, and Anthony, our lethargic roommate, all contributed to my mother's irritability. Not much happened to this apartment until I met Brittany, the person I now consider to be my best friend. After my first year of college, I ran into her at the park next to the elementary school where I worked. Her family was always happy to have me around, and we became fast friends because of the proximity of her home to the school and the park where we often spent time together. Further, as my best friend, I told her everything that had happened to me up until that point. We initially discussed my buddy in conversation with her. I later had the confidence to tell Emily, too. The new school year began, and Brittany and I found ourselves in a number of classes together, including sophomore English, which met for the first time on the very first day of school. Afterwards, she introduced me to my other best friend, Alyssa, and the three of us had been inseparable ever since. But a quarter of a way through the school year, a new student enrolled, and since I shared both art and English with her, I quickly became friendly with her and introduced her to Brittany and Alyssa. Everybody got along great, and everyone was delighted. Then I invited this new girl, Mallory, to a sleepover, and she said yes. Akin to the night, I met my buddy. That one will never be forgotten. I told Mallory right away about the paranormal things that had happened to me, but unlike Brittany, Alyssa, and Emily, at the time I thought it was because I was used to telling people things, but I realized now that wasn't the truth. In my subconscious, I concluded that she'd been through or seen things before that the others hadn't. I finally told her everything about my buddy, our shared experiences, and how I'd felt a presence in the home. She continued by saying that she was well aware of the fact that there will always be things to do wherever she went, presences around, although she assured me that it was all in good fun. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was amiss. Around 2.30 or 3, I went to sleep around 30 minutes after she did that night. I dreamt I was having a conversation with a young man and that I was uncomfortable and wanted to go, but he had reached out and caressed my left arm, so I stayed. An electrical charge surged up my, the length of my body, waking me with a jump and pain in my arm and the slight of a black figure emerged. Hand extended to my arm, grin wide hovering above me. The next instant I blinked, it was no longer there. Just a little arm discomfort, and that's all I felt. I told Mallory the next morning when I woke up, but she said she had never experienced anything like it. Later that day, I left feeling like there was a new menacing presence around me. The summer arrived. I spent most of the time at Brittany's between my time at Mallory's, and then nothing out of the ordinary occurred. The light in Britt's room started flickering throughout my time there, and then it would go dark came back on a minute or two later. For some reason, instead of sensing my buddy, I felt Mallory's. It was overwhelming. When I tried to warn Brittany and her mother, they insisted it was only the wiring, nothing awful would happen, and was in my head. Then all of a sudden, the lights in the back of that home went out. We realized that we were pretty much out of options and should simply call it a night. Then a few hours later, Brittany is shaking me awake, screaming in my ear, wake up, wake up, there's a fire. But I kept pushing her away because in the midst of the frantic shaking, I felt fingers sliding across my neck with the whole static electricity feel and a voice whispering in my ear, there's no need to worry. You can safely return to your slumber. Shh. 
I had every intention of rolling over and going back to sleep, but then something happened that jolted my very being and made me get out of bed. The front room was where I came to, where I shook and looked around. After naively returning inside to retrieve a blanket, I hurried outdoors and sat in the middle of the roadway. My haze persisted all day, and I did not fully awake until late in the day. The creature from Mallory's was the one that wanted me to go back to sleep. But I can't say for sure if my friend or Brittany startled me awake that time. Either way, I clearly wasn't alone in my body anymore. When I told Brittany about it later that day, she said that I'd been acting strange and that the possibility of it being useful scared the hell out of her. She did not want to dwell on the topic, so we put it out of our minds and continued on with the day. However, when she had returned to her home a few days had passed, she texted me saying that she was terrified again. She'd feel things in her bed at night. She kept seeing and hearing things outside her window when there was clearly nothing there. She eventually confided in me that she was so terrified of what might be lurking under her bed at night that she'd literally jump across the room whenever she got out of bed. My mother has always told me that my ability to empathize with others is the root cause of my difficulty interacting with large groups of people and the reason why I've had these personal experiences. Since I spent a lot of time in Brittany's company, I reasoned that she might be experiencing that same set of emotions that I would feel if I were there. My ability must have rubbed off on her or maybe my aura was imprinting itself on her and allowing her access to forbidden areas. I've come to terms with the fact that this is it and I've decided to stay together because true friendship requires sharing in each other's hardships. I began spending a lot of time with Alyssa outside of school, including overnights at her place on the weekends to contrast with Brittany. Alyssa shares many of my life experiences, and this has always served us as a bonding mechanism. I didn't mind that she shared a little house with her mom that looked like a mobile home. Out of the corner of my eye, I get a glimpse of a small girl standing at Alyssa's closet door, peering at me. Then she called out, ma'am, and bolted from the room. Scary as that was, I've dealt with the spirits of children many times before. After telling Alyssa about it, I gave a little more consideration to that. To me, this is where my buddy would make an appearance again. There was never any doubts about his presence. He stopped playing with me exclusively and started playing with Alyssa as a way of telling her he liked her. When I first visited with Alyssa's grandma and dad, things were different. The home appeared to be of a moderate size from the exterior. The interior was warm and welcoming. After ascending the porch steps, you'd enter the living room, which was separated from Alyssa's grandmother's bedroom only by a single door. There was a little room at the back of the home where Alyssa's great-grandmother, a very sweet elderly lady, slept. And further back was another type of living room, the bathroom and the stairs going up to the loft room where Alyssa slept. An attic access hatch was also located there. I'd sense my friend's presence right up until the moment I entered the building. As if I were to leave, he would follow me immediately. Despite my anxiety, I knew he was always outside waiting for me. The first was that of an elderly gentleman who seemed to live here. He was always nearby Alyssa's great-grandma, only leaving her side to stand at the door of her chamber if I happened to be there. The impression he made on me was really soothing. That's fantastic. A hidden entity, however... This other one, I felt, was thoroughly evil. I was utterly frightened by this thing. It didn't seem localized to me. Rather, it seemed to permeate the entire dwelling. I never knew what to make of that. 
other than it made me very uncomfortable. Eventually, I needed to come up with a more proper name for the spirit that followed me that I like to call Buddy. Before this one, I tried calling out a number of names, but none of them had stuck or felt quite right. This time, I took the time to sit down and listen to some thoughts. Came up with a few potential names for him, but each time I got a negative response, like a rumble in my stomach. Later, I found the name Jack. When he touched the back of my neck, I felt a tingling sensation all throughout my body. I caught on to his ruse when he told me to refer to him this way. Then I asked him whether it was actually his name, and the rumbling started again. I realized he'd prefer be named Jack. I've been referring to him as Jack ever since. When I told Brittany and Alyssa about it, they were both impressed that I could talk with him, although Alyssa looked a little uneasy. She later revealed to me that her grandfather, Jack, was the person I always sensed was present in her home. Let me explain why the sensations you get from being in the company of Grandpa Jack and Jack are distinct. Grandpa Jack is only affable, even paternal in nature. He's lukewarm, and he never once left the room where Alyssa's grandmother was present, not unless necessary. Jack's moods however, would swing wildly. And at times, he's lighthearted and carefree, but others, he's serious and distant. And still others, he's warm and affectionate. When I'm feeling down or frustrated, his presence is like a blast furnace that consumes me. This is how I know it's him. No one else has ever made me feel this way. And he never loses that sense of comfort, no matter how much life throws at him. It's hard to put into words, but it's as though I've always been familiar with his sensation. After some thought, I resolved to always don a cross necklace. Scratches, chokeholds, and blows were regularly inflicted upon me by other spirits. Wearing the cross seemed to be a simple way of helping prevent that from happening. And I think it helped because while it did seem to protect me, especially from the dark presences that I would feel at my friend Alyssa's, I would feel less and less of the darkness around me wherever I was. It did, however, also seem to sever the relationship that I had with Jack, with him slowly fading away, less touching of my neck, and less feeling his presence. I now feel much more at peace. Now that things have calmed down, maybe it's my age, maybe things change as you grow. I'll never know for sure. But I do believe these things exist. They were once a very big part of my life. When you're a child, a lot of things happen. Lots of things happen and everything is new. Your mind's taking everything in as data and information. And we start to try and naturally find patterns. That's what our brain does. And the more we have something happen to us, the more our brain tells us, okay, this is a pattern. This is normal. This is life and how it goes. And it, it helps to keep us centered, calm. And uh, it tells us what to be alert for and what to be alert for things that break those patterns. When you have a pattern every day of something paranormal happening though, how does that work? Especially if it starts at a young age, it is a pattern. It happens over and over. 
And if you don't know any better, you're going to think that is normal. And your brain's going to tell you, yep, it's a pattern. It's all good. So you get a little bit older, start to realize, oh, some of those things that happened. Yeah, it was a pattern for me, but it was far from normal. That's what happens in our story. Take a listen. My name is Ashley. I've been listening to your show now for five years, and I love it. It's been a while since I reached out. The last story I sent in was about a dark shadow figure I saw on a hill behind our house on an Indian reservation. If that rings any bells. Well, I'm reaching out again. Activity has really developed. The ebb and flow pattern. Done my best to ignore it, but it's definitely not going away. I had this feeling recently that I needed to send in another story, but this time starting from the beginning to set the foundation for when it all started. When I was younger, my mom married into the local tribe, and we ended up moving in with my stepdad on the Indian reservation in the 90s. At that time, it was myself, my one-year-old sister that lived with my mom and stepdad. During this period, my stepdad regularly worked swing shift and would often get home between 10.30 p.m. and midnight. I got so used to him coming home at these late hours that I distinctly knew the sound of him entering the house and going back to the master bedroom. This sound routine consisted of his keys unlocking the door, the door shutting, then the sound of heavy boots heading further into the house towards me. In the main hallway, I can't recall the exact night it was, but around 10.30 p.m. to 11 p.m., I heard the front door open and close and the sound of heavy boots heading down the hallway. On this night, the boots stopped right outside my door instead of going into my parents' room like they usually did. Thinking I was about to be busted for still being awake so late, I slowly sank into my bed as quietly as I could and closed my eyes, pretending to be asleep. I waited for the sound of these boots to start walking away, but there was nothing. No, no, no noise, no door opening, no receding footsteps, nothing. After what felt like an eternity, I decided to get up and open the door, letting curiosity get the best of me. I opened the door, found that I was staring into an empty, dark hallway. I was startled by this as I was absolutely certain that he was home. I was sure that I had heard him come through the house. I then turned back into my room and checked outside my bedroom window, which faced the front of the house where the driveway was. There was no car in the driveway. I was a little spooked, but decided that it must be my imagination. I shut my bedroom door and went to bed for the night, trying not to think too much of this. Over several months, this continued to happen. Not always night after night, and even a few weeks with no incident, it eventually got to the point, however, that I refused to leave my room after 10 p.m. I'd try not to drink anything too late to avoid having to get up to go to the bathroom. Anything to avoid that dark hallway. Eventually, this activity seemed to kind of taper off. Things changed at home, and we eventually had a change within the household where more family had moved in with us. I was now sharing a room with two of my cousins who were seven and eight, and I was about 10 years old around this time. One evening during the winter, I remember I was really sick with the flu. I had a fever, body aches, felt just awful. My mom had me go to bed early on this particular evening. She wanted me to get some rest and didn't want my cousins keeping me up. When she came in to check on me for the night, she gave me a kiss and said she'd see me in the morning. As she left my room and was closing my door, 
I saw that there was a woman standing behind my door. Like she was actively appearing in the door jam as my mom shut the door. I tried to scream, but my whole body froze and nothing came out of my mouth. I remember feeling helpless. My mom was close, but I couldn't scream for help. I heard her slowly get further and further away as her footsteps disappeared down the hall. I lay there in my bed, staring at this lady behind the door, frozen in terror. But then the strangest thing happened. I started to feel less afraid and started to feel more at ease. Like she was just checking on me rather than trying to frighten me. She was an average-looking woman. She was Caucasian with a medium-build, shoulder-length brown hair with a white nightgown. It had little purple flowers all over it, I remember. She stood there for just a second or so, looking at me. Then she slowly stepped towards me where I was lying in my bed. She'd only taken about two to three steps when she disappeared, absolutely vanishing right in front of me. I can only describe it like when a plume of fog slowly disappears and you start to see clearly. She was never completely solid. She had a slight transparency to her, like I could still make out the details of the wall directly behind her. I never saw her again after this. As an adult now, there hasn't been apparitions or appearances of anything. We mostly hear noises, sometimes feel things that are in the house. It almost seems scarier now because we haven't seen anything, but the feeling like we're being watched or followed in the house is just overwhelming sometimes. My husband thinks it's my wild imagination, but this sense, I explained to him, is like never truly having privacy or being alone, like someone is always there watching you. We've blessed the house since moving back in as an adult, but I don't know how much it's helped. I'll be sure to send in another story with more things that have happened while growing up. Thanks for taking the time to share my story and for your podcast. That wraps up EPP bonus episode number 421 of Real Ghost Stories Online. Thank you guys for supporting us and keeping us on the air. We couldn't do it without you. Until next time, for all of us at Real Ghost Stories Online, I'm Tony Bruschi. Thanks for listening.